We're going to go work through a few of the questions uh, from our session today. So it's just kind of nice. We'll have some uh, microphones. Uh, you can just stay seated where you're at. You don't have to get up and stand or whatever, but just would like to get some uh, participation uh, regarding that. So we have a very tight schedule, kind of a different day just because of the uh, weather. So we're getting going a little bit uh, later. So we're going to go right to 12 o'clock, maybe a little bit after, depending on how much discussion we have out of our questions. So one thing that I forgot last week was uh, we have a sign-up sheet. So if you can just go ahead and just put uh, um, yourself and uh, your spouse, just put your names on there. If we have your email address in the system, don't worry about putting that. But if we do not have your email address, if you can list that as well. And then can I have a couple of guys... Um, we've got some some books for the series that we're going to be going through, The Art of Marriage. Um, there's big box up here. We recommend two books um, for, each, uh, for each couple. If you want to just take one book, that's fine, but we do encourage you to take uh, two books. Uh, the cost on the books is $10 each. So if you have, obviously, two books for a couple, it will be $20 if you're single, just um, just $10. You can pay that whenever at the Resource Center, so no uh, no rush on that. Uh, just to let you know of our remaining schedule, last week we had, I went through the introduction of our um, partners with uh, Purpose Group and what we're going to be doing long term. I would like for you to, um, if, you, if you didn't come last week, I'd like for you to go on our website. We have that for you. Uh, I have the handout as well to be able to give you. We're going to try and get that on the uh, website as well. But I would encourage you to uh, to listen to that because I did go through a lot of things that weren't necessarily on the sheet. That was just kind of uh, uh, different uh, topics that we're going to go through um, in the years to come. But uh, the, the most important thing from last week was is that we talked about the most important thing that there is in life, and that's to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And if we don't have that relation, and I mentioned last week, if we don't have that relationship right, then that will affect all of our other relationships that we have on a horizontal plane. And just as Pastor had mentioned this morning about, you know, that we're all sheep, uh, we're dumb, we're smelly, and all that stuff. Um, so sometimes, what's going to govern our relationships with one another? Because it's not always feeling or pleasant feelings that we have with one another. So, obviously, the Word of God is going to govern and dictate how we, how we um, treat our spouses. And so that's why that love relationship with the Lord is so important. If we don't have that, rela- that relationship right, then it affects all other relationships. And we can give you all the information in the world about marriage and how to have a good marriage. And I'm sure some of it would help out, but it will never reach the potential that God would have for us in our marriages. So, again, if you... If you weren't able to be with us last week, I have the, um, the sheets I handed out for that. And then also you can listen to it. Um, so I encourage you to be able to, uh, to do that. Our remaining schedule is going to be we're going to start the Art of Marriage. Uh, it's DVD-led for uh, six sessions. So we'll be meeting for the next three weeks. We're going to go through session one today. And then at the end of the month, we'll be at session three. So in July, when we pick this thing back up, Again, we're not meeting every week. Uh, we'll go through sessions four through six. So that'll be our, our schedule uh, for that. 
We just, uh, ha- does everyone have a book? Does anyone else uh, need a book? Just want to kind of just tell you just a little bit about that real quick. Uh, the book goes through uh, the key concepts that we're going to be going through in our sessions in, in the DVD. So it gives you that. But also one of the most important things is, is that it's going to help facilitate, facilitate discussions that you have with your spouse during the week. So it's going to be able to work through some of the things that uh, we need to be working through. Maybe it's communication when we get to that point. It could be intimacy when we get to that point as well And session five. So it's going to help us be able to facilitate those discussions so that we can learn more about our spouses and that we can uh, grow through that as well. Um, It also has very good uh, related articles, very good information on that. And then also after each week, uh, they have uh, a suggested date night, and it's going to give us ideas on that, on how to have a date night, different discussion points. So for us men, I think <laughs> that is good information for us to have, so we just don't go on a date night, and it's like, okay, we're just staring at one another. No, this uh, it's going to give us um, a different uh, uh, topics that we can discuss, different discussion points. And, uh, you know, what to do on, on the date night. So anyway, very good um, information that we're going to have in, in the books. And we'll be using those as we go. So if you can go through that um, yourself and your spouse uh, together, uh, there's different things that you can fill in. Uh, like I said, it's very, very informative. This, um, as we get into the, uh, into the sessions, they're not lecture formats. It's all about trying to facilitate discussion between you and your spouse regarding different um, you know, topics that we're going to be going through. So before we get into our session, uh, we have a, about a four-and-a-half-minute promotional video on our family camp that's coming up in June. So we, for the next three weeks, we'll show a different uh, promotional video for that. So just kind of get your... Thoughts, uh, focus maybe on going to family camp. For those, uh, it's going to be at Gull Lake Ministries uh, this year. If you've been on our men's retreats, uh, you've been able to take advantage of a very nice facility. Uh, the nice, nice thing about having it at Gull Lake is they take care of everything. So all of the programs for the kids, you'll be able to, you know, basically, <laughs> they'll take over from there. They'll take your uh, children. They've got a lot of cool things to do with that. All the food is there. They have excellent food. And like I said, their facilities are very nice, and it's on a very nice lake, so a lot of water things uh, that we can get involved with as well. So with that, gentlemen, if you can go ahead and play our promotional uh, video.
Got you a limo ride, just stay in line. You've heard it on at least a million times. And like me, you believe it. They said it wasn't worth but trying harder wouldn't hurt. It sounds so crazy now, but back then you couldn't see it. Now here you are, eyes open wide. It's like you're seeing this in a brand new light for the first time. Look pretty cool, huh? In fact, we got uh, introduced to uh, Gold Lake Ministries from uh, Paul and Dave McMillan. Paul's one of our members here. And I listened to them for years talk about Gold Lake and how much they loved it. And really, they go every year, and they consider that their family vacation. So, I mean, that's their main vacation of the year. And uh, so anyway, that's we started going with our men's retreats, and we had a great time. 
But they still go every year. They take the whole family and they go to this uh, week-long uh, family retreat. And they just, they can't say enough good about it. Their enthusiasm rubbed off on us. We checked it out and it looks looks to be a lot of fun. So anyway, hopefully you can, uh, we'll have more information on that and the cost in the, in the coming weeks. And we'll have a sign-up uh, sheet for that as well. So we're going to get going with our uh, session, uh, Love Happens. It ru- runs roughly about uh, 23 minutes after that. Uh, my better half, Tracy, is going to come up here. We're going to work through some uh, discussion questions. We'll have a couple of fellows in the back with um, microphones. You can just stay sh- uh, seated, and we just want to basically kind of just uh, get some uh, conversation uh, going with uh, you know what the material that we're going to go over. But anyway, it's just it's not a lecture format. You're going to see a lot of different speakers that are going to be talking to the main topics uh, regarding this. But I feel that this is a very good uh, foundational uh, series for us to go through. Um, if you go back and take a look at um, what I handed out last week on the different areas that we want to try to uh, drill down on, communication, intimacy, parenting, finances, different topics like that, um, it's going to kind of touch on a number of those through this series. And then what we would like to do is later on after that is to be able to really take maybe, you know, maybe one area such as like communication and getting to know your spouse and what kind of personality your, your spouse has and you have and that, and really be able to drill down in those areas. So this is just kind of laying a foundation for us. And like I said, it lasts about 23 minutes. And after that, uh, we'll just kind of work through some of the uh, discussion questions that are at the end of session one in your book. is a really strong feeling and marriage is a way to like show that I guess it's a lot of people think it's good some people think it's strange I'd love to feel it are you crazy I hate boys if I were married I would they usually care about each other and they usually smile at each other and hold hands I'd like to feel it about someone makes me happy, who makes me smile, who knows the right things to say, and even if he messes up, he does it in the right way. The other person likes them, and they like them too. You'll see one day that they look at each other when my mom's making breakfast, and they smile, or they say goodbye when my dad has to go to work, and they just give you this warm feeling when you see them do those little things that make you feel what they're feeling. It makes me feel happy that I'm in a family that loves each other and that my parents love each other and I'm fortunate and I it makes me feel loved and want to love everyone else. 
People get married because they want to spend the rest of their lives with each other. Marriage nowadays doesn't last a good two years. They say it's for love, but then they divorce like five years later. It's because it's lust and not love. Some people get married because they think it's going to fix them. Why would I personally get married? These days, for money. It had to be a buku bucks. I don't know. What about you, Mike? Probably money would be the influence. I was married 23 years. It was for love. We was both broke, so it, could, it wasn't for money. That's just so. <laughs> it's tradition. It's... It's what our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents have done. It could be done for the wrong reasons, but in my case, I would say it was for the right reason. People get married because they love each other. I fell in love with him. So that I can live with the love of my life and start a family with them and to show everyone that I love him and I want to spend forever with them. I think it's biblically driven also. A sense of a life partner, you know, companionship for life. I found my best friend and uh, found a woman that... Uh, will do pretty much anything for me and, and uh, stand by me no matter what. We've been married for 33 years and we're still married right now. We still love each other. We became best of friends and we became companions and we also became partners and we became one. I think when most, most couples get married, they... They really don't have any idea of the grandeur of marriage and what God's up to. Yeah, I think clueless is the operative word for where I was when I first got married. And I mean, the the funny thing is I thought I was mature and uh, discovered shortly thereafter that uh, I was far from mature. The, the story I myth that most couples are dealing with is this this myth of romanticism, this myth of, I found, I, I usually say the one, 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 you know, <laughs> I found the one. And that the, I, the myth says that if you find the right one, you've accomplished it. The reality is that you can't know the one until you get married, and then you know they're the one because you got married. If you start with that mythological idea, then basically you get married and difficulty happens. Well, if the myth says marry the right one and it's going to be clear sailing, I got married and it wasn't clear sailing, guess what? I must have married the wrong one. We should never enter into marriage with an open-door policy or a mindset that, okay, this may not work. We enter into marriage that says that this is my life for the rest of my life, and this car has no reverse. My marriage has to tell the truth about God. And that's, I don't, we don't always think about marriage in that light. We think about loving one another, taking them out to dinner, having great vacations, and all that stuff is wonderful, sexual interaction, all that stuff is really great. But the truth of the matter is the ultimate purpose of a marriage relationship in human history, frankly, is that marriage is to reflect and to tell the truth about the God we're related to and whose image we bear. I think it starts with just recognizing that marriage is more than me. It's it's not something, it's not a device or an apparatus that God has given us that simply services ourself or simply meets our needs. 
but it exists for a bigger purpose, a more glorious purpose. And that, that's where we go back to Ephesians 5, and, and, and we're told in Ephesians 5 that, that it is a profound mystery that actually reflects the reality of, of Christ's love for the church. And so it, it, it's being in marriage with the reality that, that while what takes place in our marriage each and every day is significant, it's important, that there's something far more significant and important going on. There, there's a statement, there's a, a testimony, there's a, 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 a parable that's playing out that, that reveals something about God. That, that marriage is embedded in the culture as a gospel testimony that is always making statements. The only question is whether it's a good statement or a bad one. Apparently there is there's one way that is Carrie's way. I really. expected to be more patient. I expected to be able to connect with her all the time. To be active. To have the right answer all the time. Of course there were things that I wanted. And I expected to be able to make her laugh all the time. It would be great if my husband loved to you know, play soccer and go camping with me. I enjoy a clean house. And work out with me. I like things organized. Sex almost every week. Um, I mean, it's being with your best friend all the time. That's not always true. Also, that it would be fun. And to... Get an RV and travel the U.S. I... I thought it would be a lot of work. Which it is. Because we married forever. But, um... Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought of myself as being a very confident, independent person. I didn't realize how vulnerable marriage would make me. If I do something and I try and it it doesn't work out well and she's disappointed or annoyed, like that just, that kills me. Little things would come up and I have to check myself and say, why am I feeling this way or why do I think he's in the wrong or he's not doing this right really it wasn't any actual issue it was just my own selfishness it all requires work all the time we don't ever have something um, an area of our marriage where we just we've put the work in we got it figured out and we're finished it's something that we need to really keep working on and keep thinking about and always making sure that our hearts are in the right place because as soon as we stop putting that kind of a work into it, it's just, it's going to fall apart. There's a pattern in creation, all right? Six days, let there be, then there was, it was good. Let there be, then there was, it was good. Let there be, then there was, it was good. We get used to that pattern. That pattern happens for six days. First time God says something is not good is when he looks at Adam. He says it's not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18 says the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And I just get this picture of God looking at Adam saying, that old boy ain't going to make it. Because you know God's a southerner. And then out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see 
what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, that indicates a, uh, a, a an authority function that Adam had with regard to the animal kingdom um, over which God had given him stewardship. You know, here you have, check it out, Adam's all by himself. He's a dude. He's male. Nothing looks like him. So God gives him this assignment of naming all these animals in the garden. And they come two by two. And the Bible says, whatever name Adam gave it, that was its name. Again, that exercise of dominion. God has given his image bearer the right to classify these animals. So he he names them. He just rattles off this taxonomy. He's just naming these animals, classifying these animals. And in our own mind, we can see these animals coming up two by two. Uh, You can see the hippopotamus and then the the elephant and then the cheetah. There's a he-rabbit and a she-rabbit. There's a he-bear and a she-bear. There's there's Mrs. Hippo and Mr. Hippo. You're going to be a a doe and and, uh, you're going to be a buck. And you're going to be a, a hen, and you're going to be a rooster. And then you uh, you see the hyena as he comes. You see the small of the dog and the cat as they come. Maybe you're going to be a zebra, and you're going to be a zebrette. I don't know. Now, I don't know if Adam was as slow as the average male is about some of these things, but I can imagine maybe after about 25 minutes or so, he started thinking, now, wait a minute. You know, there's some significant differences between these two people. The plumbing in exactly the same thing. Adam may have been dense, but after you've named a few million animals and seen them come in pairs, he had to get the point. There was not found a helper fit for man, so then um, God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and took a rib from his side. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. He sees a figure of something that doesn't look like a chimp. It doesn't look like... He's trying to figure out... It doesn't exactly look like me, but what I'm saying, I really love, I really like. When Adam says this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, I think he's recognizing that she was taken out of him. But there's, I think, instinctively a, a longing for a reunion of that, uh, that that has been separated. And I think that's the early indication of uh, sexual desire. He doesn't name her Eve. He says she shall be called Isha because she came out of Ish. In other words, he is distinguishing her from the rest of the animals. He says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And and that whole phrase there, that whole statement is Adam saying, this is different than the other stuff that I've named. She's one of me. He's ecstatic over this gift that God has finally given him. She hasn't done anything. It's just her very presence. And and seeing her, he knows that there's something special about her. He knows she is a gift from God. And so he's excited simply to receive the gift. I played football in college. And the position I played was called wide receiver. It's called wide receiver because it's the position that lines up wide on the outside of the field, away from all the big guys that are doing all the hitting in the middle of the field. Now, as a receiver, that was the guy that that ran down the field, and when the quarterback threw him the ball, was expected to receive it. When I decided I wanted to play football, I had an older brother who was an All-American. He said, Jeff, there's more to it than just catching the ball in your hands. He said, if it was that easy, more of us would be making several million dollars a year doing it. He said, Jeff, as the ball's coming towards you, don't just receive it into your hands, but look it all the way into here. And don't look up until it's here. 
Now, as a wide receiver, I knew that no matter what I did, I was going to get hit. But there were guys on the field whose jobs was to rip my head off with one goal, to separate me from this ball. And there were situations where I remember I'd go up for the ball and I would look away and not look the ball all the way in and those guys would nail me. And the ball would end up on the grass somewhere, on the turf. And I remember in those moments, I got up slowly and usually limped my way back to the hub. But then there were the other moments. And these were the glorious moments. When I would go up for the football, I would see it coming toward me. I would concentrate, see that ball all the way in. And I would not look up until I knew I had it here. And then those guys would hit me. And when I got up off the turf and I had the ball and I had received it, it still hurt. But there was something else going on inside me where at one level, I felt like I was feeling no pain because I would jump up from the ground and almost run back to the huddle with a hop in my step. Those were glorious moments because I'd come down having received the football. I've learned that being a wide receiver is a lot like being a wife receiver. I can't just accept my mate as a gift from God. I must choose to receive her all the way into here. I'm going to tell you, that's not always easy. There are defensive backs out there trying to keep me from coming down with this ball. There are forces working against my marriage all the time. And quite frankly, sometimes my wife coming toward me looks more like a porcupine than a pigskin. And I don't want to look her all the way into here. And she could say the same thing. I've made a lot of mistakes in my marriage, but I'm going to tell you, when I get up from the pile and the ball is in here and I've looked her all the way in, regardless of our circumstances, it feels a whole lot different to me than if I get up and the ball still laying on the turf. Receiving your spouse means that you don't merely just accept them and, and let them be. It means you literally embrace the God-given differences and uniquenesses that uh, he's built into them and given to you as a gift. There's a moment in which, as my wife is walking down the aisle of that church, not only is there no other woman in the room, there is no one else in the room but her for that moment. As you stop and think, God, thank you for being good to me and giving me a woman like this. An emotion that is prompted uh consistently ever since easiest day in our marriage we we've been married for many 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 years now the easiest day was the wedding day i mean because you made the promises you made the commitment and you're all wonderful and you're nothing's wrong and you know everybody else's problems except us i i would everybody would have to but you know we have discovered that that almost on a daily basis Receiving one another as God's gift is a choice. Now, when there are hard times, when we disagree about things, or when there are financial challenges, or when you have children and they make bad choices and we disagree about how to deal with those choices, you know, or when they're suffering in adversity, or when you, you know, just all kinds of issues. Uh, I want to spend the money this way. She says, no, we don't need to spend it that way. I mean, I... At that point, I have to make choices. I resolve the conflict, but I got to remember that she's not my enemy, that that's God's gift to me.
how could Bill accept me? I wish we hadn't come back from vacation the day early. How could I accept myself? I wish I had not gone to work that morning. You wake up every day hoping it was an awful dream and that it wasn't true. And you wake up the next day hoping it was an awful dream and it wasn't true for months and months and months. I was just having a great time just playing with the two kids on the bed. We were rolling around in the covers and they were giggling and I was like, oh, Jonathan, you smell so badly and I've got to change your diaper. I just think I'll give you guys a bath. I got Carrie and I put her in and Jonathan had been sitting up well for a month and he was seven months old at the time and um, so I just played with him in the bathtub and then I could hear the dogs barking outside. So I went um, to the front door and I called the dogs and they wouldn't come. In my heart, I knew that, I just knew I needed to get right back there. I got an interruption in a meeting at work where a floor supervisor came into my meeting room and said, your wife's called, your son's drowned, you're supposed to go home right away. When you hear something like that, you can't possibly really believe that what you've heard is true. When I got to the driveway, there's the ambulance sitting out front and lights running and I walk into the front room and our seven-month-old son, Jonathan's on the floor with the paramedics working on him and trying to revive him and Pam praying over in the corner with a friend. And you're having that almost out-of-body experience where you're looking at something you think can't really possibly be true. When we got to the hospital, my best friend was the physician. And I remember him walking into the room and saying to us that uh, we lost him, uh, Jonathan's gone and taking me over to the side and saying, you know, Bill, when there's a death of a child as a result of the responsibility of one of the spouses, there's probably an 85% chance for a divorce. It was really hard to be 26 and have something happen like this that you don't expect to happen. first construct what happened, you want to um, wrench your fist at how could you do this. I had to come to grips with what was that going to be in our marriage. I had to come to grips with am I going to take that anger and just focus on that anger and focus on the mistake or am I going to talk about what we have to do going forward as, as a family and as a couple. As we drove home and as I prayed, we got our two-year-old we sat on a piano bench together, weeping and crying. I held up the Bible and I said, you know, this book is either true or it isn't. If it's true, we know God loves us and he has a wonderful plan for our life. And um, he's in control. God will not protect us from what he will perfect us through. That's where Christ makes a difference. Not only in forgiveness and receiving each other because, you know what? I was wrong to leave the bathtub. But we don't live perfect lives. I'm not a perfect person. I think of it as a choice that you can forgive each other and continue to work towards letting God 
have the freedom and the Holy Spirit to have freedom to work in your life, to make you into the person that He wants you to be. And He uses good things and He uses really, really hard things too. We have to face these things together and not not face off against one another. And so on a day-to-day basis, you make the choice. It's a decision, and it's not easy. But, you know, that's what makes it sweet, though. Uh, That's what makes marriage wonderful. It's pressing through the adversity, pressing through the difficulties, and receiving each other uh, in, in spite of the opposition and problems. And I don't like you today. <laughs> I, I don't like what you said. I don't like how you acted. I don't like the decisions that you make. But I still choose not to run from you, but to run toward you and to get on our knees and turn toward God. Uh, and that, that that's the reality of welcoming and choosing and receiving your made as a gift of God. Okay, uh, this is, uh, we've, we've got, uh, well, we've got 15 minutes, a little bit more time than I thought maybe we were going to have. So we're going to have uh, next 15, 20 minutes, uh, we'll be able to discuss some of these questions. And uh, we just went through uh, Love Happens, and at the first, it's just kind of like, you know, you've got little kids, you know, talking about, you know, what, what they perceive marriage to be. And then at the end, we got the real realities of what marriage can end up being through going through very difficult situations, and a lot of you have faced as well. Um, so what I'd like to do is, let me come up here, hon. <laughs> this is my better half, Tracy. And um, anyway, I just want to work through some of these questions. Do we have a couple of mics Cause, so we can hear everybody? So we'll get a couple guys in the back there. But uh, this is really where we start to kind of maybe work through some of the um, uh, the material that we've uh, heard and that it'll be a, uh, you'll be able to continue these uh, conversations during the week as you move through the, uh, through the lessons with your spouse. But uh, anyway, um, let's just look at the first question. It's on page 13. We're not necessarily going to go through all these. I just picked out a few of them. But uh, the first one just says, what was the most thought-provoking concept you heard uh, in this session? So what, what, uh, what was the most thought-provoking concept that you heard in this session? Carol? Um, about the myth, about the one, and looking for the one, and feeling <laughs> like if you don't find that one, that you're all messed up. But rather, the one is the one that you married. And I think our, our youth are so wrapped up in that myth of looking for the one. Yeah. Thanks, Carol. And, and that's so true. I mean, if, if you do have questions, you know, did I marry the one, just get it out of your head because it doesn't matter. You're with the one. And it's what we do, the choices that we make on a daily basis. Any others? Any other thoughts? I'll go, because <laughs> there's always crickets. Um, but this is just a very profound thing that I think we all know, but yet we don't always want to embrace. 
And that was a statement that was made, God will not protect us from what will perfect us. And a lot of times when we're going through something that's difficult, um, those days that, as they refer to, that I might love you, but I certainly don't like you right now. Because that's very true. If we're going to be transparent, we've all had those days, those times, those seasons. But the reality is when you're going through something very difficult, that's most often when you learn and you have to peel away the layers and the barriers that you want to put between you and whatever is bothering you, whether it be somebody at work or your spouse or a circumstance in your life, and then realizing that even those things are from God. And he has a reason for that. And there is a reason that you're going through that. And it's to draw you closer to him and make you more like him. And in a marriage situation, that's got to be mutual. You, you have to now begin to see everything dual. So in that respect, if it's my issue, I need to grow in it and become more Christ-like. But then how do I bless him in that endeavor as well? How do I draw him to be more like Christ in that? So sometimes going through those difficult things are the things that you need to make that next step of repentance and growth and faith in Christ-likeness. Any other thoughts? Okay, let's look at uh, question three. <clears throat> On the video, after mentoring, me- mention, I'm sorry, after men- mentioning some of the reasons that people marry, the point was made that ultimately marriage should tell the truth about God. Why is this important? So, why is it important to tell the truth about God in our marriage? It's supposed to be interactive, y'all. <laughs> and sometimes I know it's hard to, you know, just see a uh, a DVD uh, and uh, to be able to answer all the questions. But uh, yes, um, being married and showing the truth of God is like seeing a couple living God's truth and wanting to be like that couple. So in a sense, it inspires you to be more godly and to serve the Lord more and to be more of a servant. Um, My husband and I looked very, very much up to Peggy and Larry, and we aspire to be like them in our marriage. So, Thank you very much. Thank you. Any others? They, they brought out Ephesians 5.32 in talking about how the marriage is supposed to reflect Christ's love for the church. So when we are doing that, when my husband is loving me unconditionally on those days where he might love me but not like me, then, those, then those days don't happen, do they? Very, they're very rare, and you all know that. <laughs> those of you who know me know those are very rare. Yeah. But when that's happening, that's reflecting the same kind of love that Christ has for us. And for those of us who come into contact with people outside of our Christian friends, etc., so in the world at large, um, whether they've ever met your husband or not, they usually know, especially ladies, if we're in conflict with our husband because we tend to wear it. 
right? So we might show up with our emotions just in full blaze, you know, or what have you. But when we handle things the way that God intends, it reflects a whole different thing for those people looking into our marriage. How we handle that conflict when they come and they're unsaved and their their idea of handling the conflict is to share it with everybody in the office, you know, and complain and, and talk negatively. And when we do the same, they don't see any difference in us. And they don't see the love of Christ. So for us, as hard as it is, because heaven knows there are days when you do want to just drop, kick, and complain, but the reality is, if we can do everything through the grid of the gospel first, how will this affect my gospel message to those around me? It should cause us to stop and think before we do that. So that's another reason, besides the fact of how it affects your relationship here, is how is it going to reflect you know, what someone thinks of the gospel message that you're trying to live out? So it's definitely going to make that effect, because we're all teaching So what are we teaching? Are we teaching what is in accord with sound doctrine? That's what we're doing on Wednesday nights with the ladies. And so we have to think that. What what am I teaching when I do this? So someone's looking, whether it be someone within your household or someone outside of your household. Someone's always looking. So what am I teaching with my words, actions, attitudes, and where my heart is at? I'd like to go to, um, thanks, hon. Uh, I'd like to go to question five because I'd like to spend a little bit of time on this one because I certainly struggled in this area. And I think that, you know, if we're all being honest, we, to some degree, we all struggled in this area. But on the video, distinction is made between accepting your spouse and receiving your spouse. Describe the difference and explain why this is important in your relationship as husband and wife. So first of all, let's just talk about accepting your spouse. What, you know, what basically is that? We don't have to spend a whole lot of time here, but just what's accept, accepting your spouse. <laughs> We're going to sit here and let crickets chirp till one of y'all answers. <laughs> J- Jackie in the back. Jackie. I think um, accepting your spouse is sort of like what Pastor Brown talked about this morning, that love without affection is not complete. You know, we can be accepting by fulfilling all of our roles and saying, you know, honey, I'm going to cook your dinner, and hi, how was your day, and kind of just being there and going through the motions, but without the true love to back it up, the affections, and, um, you know, um, doing it out of love rather than... um, you know, feeling you're forced to because it's, it's you know, you have to do it, there's a big difference. Okay, excellent, very good. Carol? I see the difference between accepting and receiving as accepting being I'm hot, my husband's cold, like always, um, <laughs> but receiving is doing something about it and saying, okay, I'm going to... Um, wear a sleeveless top and shorts in the house because he's cold. He's right behind. <laughs> I figured he'd be around here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> he just walked here. You're saying, you're saying that, Thanks, this Tracy. is starting to get interesting now. 
<laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, it's a funny example. It's a true example, but it's a funny example. But accepting is saying, I'm hot, he's cold, whereas receiving is being able to work with that and deal with that without killing each other. Very good. <laughs> Any others? Um, I think all of us growing up, when we think about marriage, we have all these ideas in our head and we what we want from a spouse. And when we get married, it's a very happy day and you're all excited. And then the wedding's over and you go home and you don't like the way he doesn't pick up his clothes or how there's a plate next to the sink but not in the sink, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't make any sense to you. But you have to realize, too, that, you know, this person you chose to marry, um, you have to accept that the way they are. Mm-hmm. You can't change someone in making them change. So you should receive them the way they are, and you can note your complaint. <laughs> but, I mean, as the Bible says, you'd bet, rather live on a roof than be with a complaining spouse. So you kind of got to accept the fact that they are the way they are and make your marriage work or else it won't work. Right. And you'll just become bitter and which I'm not bitter about the plates. I got over that. <laughs> Thank you. Any others? Uh I was just going to say I really agree with what Jackie said about um love having affection and what you're supposed to do in active obedience. And I feel like that just really goes with um, the marriage telling the truth about God. Um, because no matter what your relationship status is, married, single, it's complicated. <laughs> We're all in a relationship, marriage relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's really the foundation piece for it. Are you following him because... You love him too, or just because he's putting you in a position to check off things on the list or mm-hmm. something like that. So I think that really is applicable to the marriage too. Okay. Thank you. And with uh, receiving your spouse, it is accepting God's given differences. And early in our marriage, I mean, that was something that I had to, I had to bail with. I'm just, you know, I'm just being honest. I mean, we are two different people (laughs) and it's like, well, hey, you know, you don't do things the way I like to do things, you know? And so there's these differences, but I didn't appreciate the differences. I didn't appreciate that my spouse is different than me and that God ordained that. And those differences are for my betterment. It completes me. It fills in the gaps. And when I started to look at our differences in that manner, it, 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 it was a game changer for me. Um, I, I began to accept the differences that we had and to appreciate them. And the older I get, the more I do appreciate them <laughs> because I've got my blind spots. I've got my areas that I needed to be, um, you know, uh, smoothed off in. And my, my, my wife has certainly helped me in those areas. Um, we help to recalibrate each other. Uh, I know myself when I get, uh, you know, get intense at work, you come home, maybe you lost an account, whatever it is. And, you know, I've got my, you know, my game face on. And, but I need somebody to basically 
bring me back into tolerance because if left by myself, I can continue to go down that path. Or I'm just, you know, kick the dog, whatever. It is. Well, I kicked the dog, especially not my uh, my grand puppy uh, Gibbs. But uh, anyway, so I, I could stay in that mood in my anger, but my but Tracy's able to help me in that area, and she's able to bring me back into tolerance, <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. Because sometimes when I get in this, when I get in this mode of anger mode or just, you know, I'm a ticked off mode, it's, it's not a, it's not a good mode to be in. So, uh, certainly we help recalibrate each other and my wife does fill in the big gaps that I have. So I'm very, very thankful for that. And the longer we go on in marriage, the more thankful I am that, that God has designed her the way that he has and it's for my benefit. So, like I said, it took me a while to kind of catch on to that. I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, but uh, anyway. Any other thoughts that any of you have regarding that? With receiving your spouse, receiving the God-given differences that we have with one another. Real quick on that is because as ladies, we tend to, we can, we can dwell. <clears throat> We're dwellers. We can get there and we can just, you know, spiral down in it. And a lot of times, just as a practical application, when those differences are there between us and our spouse, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they can complement one another, help round out those rough edges. Edges, And then there are times where we, boy, we've got our heels dug in. And whatever that difference is, is causing great angst and division in our marriage. Maybe it's a wound. Maybe it's a hurt that was inflicted, etc., and so many times I have seen where we want to just dig in there, and it's that's our that's our line in the sand, and we're going to now dwell and focus on that 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 thing or whatever it is instead of dwelling on what we should be, dwelling on the Lord, dwelling on His Word, dwelling in prayer about our spouse, and not that we say God changed them. But God, show me what I need to change so that I can be a better servant for you, Lord, first, and then to my spouse. And how do I now do that? And so when we dwell, we need to dwell on the right things because otherwise it's going to quickly spiral. And it's going to continue in what we've affectionately referred to as the death spiral. It will be the death of your marriage if you stay there and dwell. Because every time something happens, it picks at that little scab. You're going to go right back to that spot. And instead of being able to just dwell there, you need to be able to train your mind to say, Lord, this spouse is a gift. They're a gift from you. You don't make mistakes. So help me to now dwell on what is good and I've challenged wives when we've sat down and talked through through things. I want you to spend time and think of, if it's really bad, just one thing. <laughs> but try to find three things about your husband every day, even if it's just he put the plate in the sink. Hallelujah, praise God. You know, <laughs> But find three things and be thankful for that. And go to God in prayer and thank him for giving you that gift of a spouse and those things that he has gifted them with that day, whether it be, you know, if you're, you're stretching and reaching really hard and the best you can get is the, the plate went in the sink, still dwell there 
and praise God for that instead of dwelling on all the negative. You have to address your negative. You can't just leave it out there because it just continues to grow. But learn not to dwell on it. Learn to, to receive as a gift. Like they said, receive it all the way in as a gift. And then um, that way your focus, it changes your focus. Any others before we uh, close here? Any other thoughts? Okay, well, very good. Uh, this will be our format uh, moving forward. I just want to kind of mention that on pages uh, 14 and 15 after the session, talks about uh, uh, date night ideas, uh, date night discussion, and some other conversations that you can have with your spouse. And let me just say, we're just we're working through these areas, okay? And maybe as Tr- uh, Tracy just mentioned, maybe there are some scabs, maybe there are some wounds, okay? So it's not let's pick the scab off here, okay? Maybe we need to we need to let things uh, heal. But we need to not view our spouse as the enemy. We want to be able to start to build new skills in our communication with one another and how we can work out our differences and how we can appreciate our differences that we have and be able to build on that. So I'd encourage you to go through um, session one in the book uh, for this week. And then also we'll be doing a session two uh, called... Uh, Love uh, fades, I believe that's what it is. Love fades. So uh, overcoming isolation. So we'll be doing that uh, next week. So with it, I'll just go ahead and close this in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we we love you because you first loved us. We just thank you for uh, the marriage that that you have given each of us, Lord. Help us to be able to glorify you uh, through that, Lord. We just thank you that um, uh, that what Christ has uh, done for us um, is our model in being able to live the gospel with each other and help us always to remember that. We just thank you for the relationship that we can have with you and you're constantly working in our lives to conform us more to Christ. I pray that our spouses might be able to see that. Help us to be uh, the right spouse uh, for each other. Uh, I just pray that as we work through these uh, different um, concepts and material, Lord, that we might be able to uh, to be able to uh, communicate them effectively to our spouses. And I just pray, Lord, that we will be able to grow through this process. I just thank you for all that have, uh, were able to come today. I just pray that you'll give everyone a safe journey home and bring them back safely next week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.